Good evening. How's everyone doing tonight? Yeah, I heard a yawn somewhere over here, and I heard a whoop somewhere, so a little bit of everything. Uh, yeah, so my name's Logan, and we're currently in a series called Equipped, and we've been on this journey looking at what does it mean for us to be a loving community together? What does it mean for us to be family together? And out of that foundation, what does it mean for us to boldly explore together? And why are we even called to boldly explore? Which leads us to the series we're in now, Equipped. What has God specifically equipped us with so that we can do that very thing, so that we can boldly explore as a family, as a community? So tonight, we're going to be talking about being equipped with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be doing that specifically through the lens of Galatians 5, verse 13 to 26. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are present in our midst. Thank you that you are leading and guiding us. Lord, I thank you for every single one of my brothers and sisters here tonight. Would you open up our hearts, open up our ears to hear whatever it is that you want to speak this night, God. We love you and we praise you and we give our lives to you. Amen. So in the first two verses, verses 13 to 15, Paul says this. When God called you my dear family, he called you to make you free. But you mustn't use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Rather, you must become each other's servants through love. For the whole law is summed up in this one word, namely this. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite each other and devour each other, watch out. You may end up being destroyed by each other. And so before we start diving into the text itself, I think it's good for us to have some context as to what's going on here. Who's Paul writing to here? And so Paul's writing to these church communities in Galatia made up of Gentile believers. More than likely, we're looking at house church settings here. Uh, and they exist in a very highly pagan society, so there's a lot of temptation swirling around them. But they also have a decent exposure to Jewish customs, Jewish laws, Jewish ways of life. And so one stream of interpretive thought is that there's these two opposing and very extreme belief systems that are starting to rise up and being taught within these church communities. On the one extreme is this belief and this teaching that in order to be a Christian, in order to be, find favor in God's sight and be accepted by God, you have to start following the Jewish laws. Specifically, circumcision is what this community was dealing with. And then on the other extreme is this belief that, well, we have freedom in Christ, therefore I can do whatever well I please at my own self-centered desires, regardless of the impact it has on the community. And so with these two extreme belief systems, there started becoming a lot of dissension and division taking place within the communities that Paul's addressing here. And so Paul's writing to refocus the Gentile Christians in Galatia on what life devoted to Christ looks like, what it should look like, as opposed to these beliefs and lifestyles that they were either being tempted by or were starting to buy into and live out. And so when I was reading this, my mind was blown because it just dawned on me like, how, how relevant this was for us, in the sense, for us in the church in America. I mean, if you think about it, we have these two very similar opposing extreme belief systems rising up. On the one side is this belief system that there's this long list of legalistic rules and expectations that I have to follow in order to be accepted by God, as if I'm not already accepted by God. 
And then on the other extreme is this belief system that I have freedom in Christ, so I'm going to do me. It's between me and God, regardless of the impact it has on the community God's placed around me, regardless of how God might choose to speak to me through the community he's placed around me. I'm going to do me. It's between me and God. And so my point in highlighting this is twofold. One, for us to understand the applicability of Paul's words many years ago to the churches in Galatia to us today in our culture. And two, to offer hope to our current situation, to our culture. And Paul points to that remedy, and we're going to get there as we progress along. So, God set you free. Christ sets us free to enjoy freedom. We have a choice. Last week, Cole, Cole opened up our series on Equip, talking about how God's equipped us with choice. We have a freedom, and it's a beautiful thing. And Paul cautions us here against using that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And we're going to get to that concept of flesh and what that means later on. Uh, but so if, if he cautions us against that, what's the alternative that we're left with? It's this. Become servants to one another through love by choosing to live a life led by the Spirit. Love is the means through which we become servants to one another. This idea of love and this idea of servanthood, they can't be separated from each other. They're bound together. They're intimately related to each other. Jesus' command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is what Jesus spoke of, and it's what he exhibited, and it's how he lived his life time and time and time again. Jesus came in the form of a servant to serve humanity every single day that he was here on this earth, even so much so to the lowly point of death on a cross. And so in that same way, rather than living a lifestyle that's dictated and led by the reality of the flesh, we as the people of Christ are called to follow Christ's example to looking after each other's best interests over our own self-centered desires. Through love. Love is the means through which this happens. And so speaking to the dissension, the division, the destruction within the church communities, Paul offers this very vivid warning. He says, if you bite each other and devour each other, you may end up being destroyed by each other. And so it's, it's this image that Paul paints of animals operating out of their carnal desires, tearing each other to pieces just so that their needs are met. And so he draws that parallel from these animals operating out of their carnal needs to humans fighting in unloving and hostile ways with each other within the community, with the potential end result being the destruction of the very community that they belong to. And so in verses 16 to 18, he goes on, let me say this to you, Live by the Spirit, and you won't do what the flesh wants you to. For the flesh wants to go against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. They are opposed to each other so that you can't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So let's break this down. There's a lot here. Uh, that word flesh here that Paul's using, he isn't saying that material things or human desires or pleasures or sensual, sensualities in and of themselves are evil and that they should be avoided at all costs and suppressed. That's not what Paul's getting at here in this context. Rather, what he's saying is that this concept of the flesh and this concept of being led by the Spirit are two opposing holistic lifestyles. It's not this one-time act that he's pointing to. And so, for example, money. Money in and of itself is not evil. 
It's been used for beautiful and great things, and God's used it countless times again and again. But it's what? It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Same thing with a job. It's beautiful when God calls you into place to use the gifts that he's equipped you with to be his hands and feet in the world through the workplace to show people what the love of God looks like in our day-to-day interactions with them. But it's when our focus starts being on our job, our focus starts being on earning money, our focus starts being on me doing me, my self-centered desires and the acceptance of the world and everything that comes into that, that's the danger that Paul's pointing to here. And so it's when we follow a lifestyle dictated by the flesh as our norm in which we gain ultimate meaning and purpose from our self-centered desires and the acceptance of the world. This is what is destructive. And when that happens, our limit ends up being only on what can be seen, handled, tasted, or bought in the material realm because we're not sensitive and not open to the leading of God's spirit in those moments rather than being able to see and taste of the realities of the kingdom of heaven in the here and now. So Paul's instruction is to live by the Spirit, and you don't, won't do what the realities of the flesh want you to. Choosing to live your whole life being guided and led by the Holy Spirit inevitably prevents your life from being ruled by the ways of the flesh. Not doing what the flesh wants you to is the result of living a life led by the Spirit. It's not as if Paul's saying these are two separate commands, live life led by the Spirit and don't do what the flesh wants you to do. No, this over here is the result of keeping our eyes focused on the Spirit and where the Spirit may lead us and the lifestyle that the Spirit leads us to. You know, personally, I've often fallen prey to, to this temptation to say, if I can just focus on not doing this sin or that sin or this sin, then I'll be good, which is ironic because what happens when you think so much about not doing something? You inevitably end up more likely to do it because you're constantly thinking about not doing it rather than me putting all my focus and energy on being led by the Spirit. The lifestyle of the flesh and the lifestyle of the Spirit are opposed to each other. Paul paints this picture of this constant tension, this constant spiritual warfare that's going on. God has equipped us with the Holy Spirit, and we have the choice to make of whether we're going to live a life led by the Spirit or of whether we're going to fall prey to the opposition. And so then Paul lists this long list of the works of the flesh. And we're not going to read those. We're not going to dive into them here. Uh, I, I encourage you to go take a look on your own time. But there are some key things that I think are worth mentioning here regarding this. The first is this. These lists are very common in Paul's day and age. They were called lists of virtues and vices, very similar to what you see Paul laying out here. And so these lists of virtues and vices were laid out for people to understand how a society should function in its ideal form and how the individuals within that society should function in its ideal form. So Paul is simply using a cultural tool here to speak to his audience in Galatia, to the Galatian churches, adding in a couple of his own terms to a list here and there. And the other thing is this. There's two temptations that can come up from a list like this when we see it in Scripture. The one temptation is this. We can say, look at those people out there doing those despicable things. Kind of separate us ourselves from them. And the, the thing I want to point out is this. Paul's speaking to the churches in Galatia as a warning to them, to the church, saying, hey, if you continue down this road, this is where it's going to lead you. Paul's not writing to the people out there outside of the church. 
So that's the one temptation. The other temptation is this. If you're anything like me, you might read a list like this and become very highly self-critical of yourself, saying, well, I've, that one time I engaged in that one act that Paul lists out here, therefore my life's not led by the Spirit. If that's you, if, if you feel that when you read a list like this, let me offer some encouragement to you. One, every single person here in this room is a human being loved and created by the Creator himself, made in the image of God. And in that same token, every single one of us here in this room wrestle with this tension of the brokenness of, in the world and the reality of the sin in the world. And so you're not alone. All of us, at one point or another in our life, have fallen short in some regard or another. Two, God's grace is sufficient for you, my brothers and sisters. He loves you so unconditionally, and there's nothing you can ever do to separate yourself from that love. Three, again, Paul's talking about holistic lifestyle here. He's not pointing to the one-time act. So this phrase, works of the flesh, these are actions that are made plain and evident. And the majority of the list that Paul gives here has to do with interpersonal relationships that lead to oppression, division, selfishness, and destructiveness within the community, ultimately resulting in death and decay, as Paul points to later in chapter 6. So once more. Paul speaking to a holistic lifestyle that leads to a place of dissension and destruction. And so he goes on in verses 22 to 23 and says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, is peace, is great heartedness, is kindness, is generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law that opposes things like that. I don't know about you all, but growing up in the church, as far back as I can remember, anytime I heard the fruit of the Spirit talked about, I heard talk, each item talked about as if they were separate entities, separate things, that the Spirit gave the fruit of love to this person, and they exhibited great in their life, and the fruit of joy to this person, and they exhibited great in their life. But as I, and even when I started approaching this and studying this for, for this message, that's kind of how I approached it, was from that mindset. But as I got diving in, one of the things that God showed me is, no, this is one fruit. It's the one fruit of love. It's not like these are all separate things that the Spirit hands out to different people as if they're the gifts of the Spirit. No. This list, love, joy, peace, and on it goes. These things can't be separated from each other. They're interwoven and intimately related and bound to one another. Where you see one, you will inevitably see the other. And so a life led by the Spirit, which God has equipped us with, results in a holistic lifestyle that expresses itself through the one fruit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these traits point to the one fruit that is summed up by love. They all point to the working of the Holy Spirit in and through and among his people. And the other thing that I think it's important for us to realize is this. Think of the word fruit, the concept of fruit. It's not a human product as if I can muster up enough strength in myself to produce love, to produce joy, and on the list. No, 
It's the fruit. It's the result of God's spirit dwelling among his people. And this happens because the believer has chosen to look away from his own self-centeredness, his own self-desires, and instead towards God and the leading of his spirit. This imagery of fruit and what Paul's painting here, he's drawing on an ancient imagery that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And so, if you would, go ahead and close your eyes. Take a breath. And listen to these words from Jeremiah. And really picture the imagery that Jeremiah speaks of here. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For they will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by its stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. A tree planted by the water, extending its roots by a stream. Its leaves are green. It doesn't stop yielding fruit. And as you keep your eyes closed, listen to these words of Jesus. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in them, they bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can open your eyes. And so the one fruit is produced by abiding in Jesus, by abiding in the Messiah, abiding in the presence of the Holy Spirit, living a life that is led by the Spirit that God has equipped us with as his people. And Paul finishes this section with the phrase, there's no law that opposes things like that. In other words, the heart behind the law is summed up by what the Spirit produces, which is love. And that law is carried out by that one fruit of love, This is the trajectory God has been up to since the very beginning, from the beginning of time all the way up to the present and forevermore in the future, that his people would be a people who are guided and led by his spirit, so much so that that spirit would produce a holistic lifestyle of love and show the world what love looks like. It's what he's up to, guys. And so Paul finishes in verse 24 to 26 with this. And those who belong to the Messiah, Jesus, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's line up with the Spirit. We shouldn't be conceited, vying with one another and jealous of each other. When I read this, I picture Paul saying, in essence, those who belong to the Messiah, Jesus, you Galatian churches that I'm writing to who claim to follow Jesus, listen up have put to death the lifestyle of the flesh when you chose to live a life guided by the Spirit, have put to death the idea of buying into my own beliefs, values, and pleasures at the expense of the community around me. And that phrase, lining up with the Spirit, the language points to a military term with the notion of following the line of leadership or being in step with leadership. So if we claim to live by the Spirit, Be in step with the Spirit. Be in sync with the Spirit's guidance, consistently pressing into the Holy Spirit that we have been equipped with. And so what does that mean? 
It means not being conceited, prideful, arrogant, boastful, which will only lead to competing with each other for our own self-centered desires and can only lead to jealousy among each other. And it also means, as Paul points later to in chapter 6, taking on responsibility and accountability for one another in gentleness, brothers and sisters, in gentleness, carrying each other's burdens and pointing each other to Christ in every word and every action that we exhibit to one another. It means letting the Spirit grow a lifestyle within you that produces love and everything that love encompasses. So, if there's people you're in unresolved conflict with tonight, let the Spirit lead you to bring resolution to that conflict. Let God heal and restore that relationship for his glory and for his honor and for the health and the well-being of his community and his church at large. If you aren't in unresolved conflict, great, rejoice, praise the Lord. That's something to rejoice about. But be on guard for none of us here in this room and none of the church at large are immune to the temptation that the churches in Galatian, in Galatian Paul's day were falling to. Choosing to live a life led by and in step with the Holy Spirit who we have been equipped with so that we may become servants to one another through love, it leads to eternal life filled with abundance, with produce, with vibrancy, with the absence of fear, confidence, justice, righteousness, quietness, security, and undisturbed rest for themselves and for their community at large. And so the implications of this are both on the personal level and the communal level. You see, for Paul, the two couldn't be separated from each other. What impacted the person impacted the community, and what impacted the community impacted the person. And so the questions we ask are this. On the personal level, am I a person whose lifestyle reflects the holistic fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control? And then on the communal level, we ask both for us as a local church family and community and for the church at large around the world, are we a community whose lifestyle reflects the holistic fruit of the spirit of love? And so finally, this leads us to our inevitable question. What does it mean for me personally in a practical and tangible way to live by the spirit and to be led by the spirit? And we could sit here all night talking about the different responses to this because there's a lot of beautiful responses to this. And in fact, I believe Ryan's going to be talking in the near future about the spiritual disciplines, which is one of many responses to this question. But I wanted to give you a taste of how some individuals within our very own community responded to this question. And so when I was sitting here meditating on this, in preparation for this, I was asking myself, who are the people that I'm in close relationship with that is just so so evident that there's something different about this person, that who is it that I look at and it's obvious that they are led by the Spirit because the Spirit's consistently producing a lifestyle of love, of joy, of peace, and on and on. And so before I introduce uh, this individual, let me say this. It's not to put them up on a pedestal. For these individuals have their weak moments just as much as the rest of us do here in this room. But it's for all of us to be encouraged by how God is moving in and through their life and how God speaks to them. And so the first person I want to bring up uh, is Andre. And if you know Andre, 
you know what I'm talking about. The very first interaction I had with Andre, it was just so evident to me that this is a man who just exudes the love and the joy of Christ wherever he goes, just in a simple interaction, the way that he's so intentional in listening and being present in a given moment and offering the compassion of Christ. And so, I've asked Andre, come on up. Hi. <laughs> so, Andre, what does it mean for you personally, in a practical and tangible way, to live by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit? Yeah, so I got that message, and I, my first thought was like, I don't know if I'm the person, the right person for this. <laughs> um, because, like, just straight up honest talk, it's like I don't feel like I'm consistently, like, 100%, like, meeting this target of, like, praying every day or, like, you know, just all the things that we as Christians aspire to. But I did think about it more, and the way I, I kind of answered to Logan is I, I feel like being led by the Spirit for me is, in this present season that I'm in now, is kind of this, like, old love. So, like, my, my married friends talk about this, of, like, you know, after 20 years, the, like, burning passion of, like, the honeymoon kind of wanes off a little bit. But there is this commitment, there's this like stillness, there's this understanding that, that this existed, this love existed in the past, and therefore it exists now. And I think sometimes when I don't have the maybe like mental understanding to pursue, like, cool, God, I'm going to come to you right now, I rely on that of like, well, I was taught how to love my neighbor before, and so I can do that now. I was taught patience before and so I can do that now and so those things don't just wash away just because I don't feel like it in this moment but they actually um, God kind of recalls that and he weaves it through even present day so I think that's that's the short answer thank you cool. Thanks. Yep. Yeah. and so another individual that I reached out to was Garrett again a lot of you know Garrett, someone that's very evident that his life is led by the Spirit. Uh, and Garrett couldn't be here tonight, unfortunately, but I asked him, he gave me permission to share part of his reply to this question, and it's this. He talks about being related to trust and dependency on God and says, a question I try to ask whenever I go anywhere or do anything, even in conversation, is this. God, what are you doing in this moment? That simple question is a huge way to live into what God is doing and to be able to re revive what he has to offer through the Spirit. And so, I hope you're encouraged by that. And I would invite you to ask the people that are close to you in your own circles, in your community, that very question that we just asked there. Family, would we be a community led by the Spirit wherever we go? And would that be our laser focus? And would that be our mission, that we would be led by the Spirit of God, not trying to muster up enough works or strength on our own, but letting the Spirit do that work within us so that we could be a community of love, a people of love to show this world what love looks like by being led by the Spirit. Would you pray with me? God, you are good. You are so, so, so good. 
thank you that you are moving. Thank you that you are working. Regardless of where people are at tonight, regardless of the different things we're bringing into this room, God, we just lift you up and we praise you, Abba. Holy Spirit, we surrender our lives to you. We surrender our desires over to you. We surrender our control over to you. We surrender our community over to you. We surrender the church at large across this nation and across the world over to you. Would you lead? Because we've tried leading and we've seen where that's gotten us. We've tried taking control and we've seen where that's gotten us. give us hearts of obedience to pursue you and follow you at all costs whatever that looks like God so Lord tune our ears to listen to you tune our minds to be contemplative of you tune our hearts to pursue you consistently whatever season we're in we love you and we surrender our all to you